everyone welcome to the career medicine podcast this is your host nisar ahmed and this is episode 94 of the career medicine podcast and for this particular episode i'm continuing the leadership expert series if you have listened to any of our previous episodes in this series we talk about the topic of leadership for yourself we interview guests they share their ideas and how you as a career professional can apply that to your career And for today's leadership expert series episode I'm interviewing Michael O'Brien from Peloton Coaching. He is a leadership coach. He's also the author of the book called Shift Creating Better Tomorrow. I'm sure we'll learn more about all of that in a moment. Hey Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Nasir. I'm like so psyched to be here and I've been listening on your other interviews and I'm I'm really I'm really excited to add to the conversation about leadership because it's a topic that I have a lot of passion about. So, yeah, I can't wait to talk through the whole topic. Did I say your company name correct? Did I pronounce it correctly? Yep. So, Peloton Coaching, a lot of people like sort of link it to those exercise bikes, Peloton Cycles. It it not the same, but we use the same same word as a metaphor for a tribe at work. So, a Peloton is basically a group of cyclists in a bike race. Mhm. And so your listeners will understand like why that's meaningful as we go through our our conversation together but so for me it's like a tribe a culture at work because a peloton if it works well it has leadership and communication and trust and collaborations just like some of the best work teams out there No that sounds good I'm I'm going to ask about that in a moment as well one of the first fun questions I always ask my guests is where are they calling from I am calling from beautiful New Jersey on a nice day that gives us a hint of spring and summer. So it's been a a brutal winter here for us. And so this is like one of the first really warm sunny days. So everyone around here is in an awesome mood. But exactly New Jersey. I've been to a couple of places in the past. Yeah, so I'm in Bergen County, which is where my town is. Town called Tenafly. We're right on the Hudson. a river just north of the George Washington Bridge so for me to get into midtown manhattan it's about well with no traffic it's about 40 minutes or so no oh, that sounds great i've spent some time i mean maybe a few days at jersey city and you can oh, yeah. see the entire skyscrapers the entire downtown manhattan from there so and everything it's amazing one thing i loved about new jersey and new york it's so accessible by public transit public transit isn't that expensive and you can get from point to point very quickly so that's something that, that really impressed me when i was there yeah i know like new york city is for anyone that hasn't been you should definitely come for me it's a great example of what's possible in the world so when we uh-huh. get a little depressed with what's happening in the world in terms of violence and like tribalism and just conflict i look at new york city and i'm like this could be the example we throw like 8 to 10 mi- million people into a very close knit space from all different backgrounds all around the world with different points of view and we live in relative peace you know there you know there's still issues right 
but we get along. And I think it's really possible through, you know, when we bond together, we can, we can live with different points of view in different perspectives in the world if we really listen to each other and we look out for our common brother and sister. So New York to me is like this city of optimism, to be honest. Mm. No, that is so true. I mean, I can go on about how much I loved New York. I've been there four or five times. And what people tell me is it'll take an entire lifetime to go through everything in New York. Every time I go there, I come back wanting more. So that is so true. Um, Very cool. Michael, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, so my life has always been in sales and marketing. And one of the things I, I really, you know, I really thought of myself as a leader. And I could go all the way back to like my childhood. I like, I love the leadership roles that I played like in sports. And now, current day, I'm an executive coach. So I help leaders lead better. I help their teams. But prior to opening Peloton Coaching and Consulting in my executive coaching uh, company, I was a leader mainly in the pharmaceutical industry. So I spent 22 years in the pharmaceutical industry as a sales rep, as an individual contributor. But then I worked my way into marketing and then le- leadership levels. And then finally, executive le- leadership. So I was part of the executive committee. I was one of our youngest executive committee members at the time when I got promoted to that level. And I really didn't set out to get to that level. It sort of just happened. So, but that, that experience in terms of leadership and how to build culture and how to communicate and bring out the best in people is something I just love doing. I always knew after what I call my last bad day, which I know we'll talk about, that I would get into executive coaching. So now I try to help people really show up because leadership is so important. Leadership matters so much, not only in terms of business results, but in terms of how we build people up and how we can help them become the best versions of who they can be. Sounds good. So that brings me to my next question. Like you mentioned leadership a couple of times, and this is what the interview is about. A favorite question I have for for any leadership expert or coaches I've interviewed, and I'll ask you as well, uh, what does leadership mean to you? What what does that, what does that signify when you think of that? So for me, so it's a great question. For me, it's about vision, right? So a leader is taking us somewhere, and that somewhere is probably outside of our comfort zone. It could be uncharted waters, trailblazing, if you will. And so he or she is like setting this course, right? And they got the compass. They know where to go. Now, in order to have followers, because every leader needs followers or they're really not a leader, you have to have great communication. Obviously, you have to have trust. But for me, you know, first and foremost, leadership is about setting a vision in terms of innovation and, and breaking through the status quo. Setting a vision and breaking through the status quo. So I'm hearing a lot about personal growth, right? Uh, not only for, for the people who are following that leader. One of the things I really love uh, when I read your website, and this is something I have, you mentioned something about a lifestyle of do, have, be. Uh, yes. And I've heard of that. And I mean, this is something from your site. I mean, this is before you transformed yourself and into a coach. I was living a lifestyle of do, have, be. I was working super hard, which is a do, to have that title, new car, bigger salary or whatever, have. So I could eventually be happy. At least that's what I thought. Does it sound familiar? So I want to hear about the story that transformed you. But before that, that whole concept of do, have, be or be, do, have. What, what are your thoughts? What, what is your insights on that? 
Yeah, no, thanks for asking about that. So, because I think this is really important because I do think there's a whole bunch of us current day that are sort of living these, like, do have be lifestyles. And in some ways, it's like, I will be happy when, fill in the blank, right? And so when, before, like, my big seminal moment that changed my life, I was chasing happiness. Like, I, I would answer that question, I will be happy when I got promoted. I will be happy when I got the new car. And so I would work really hard. That's the do. Like, you know, put my head down. Today, we call it hustling. Back when I was younger, we just called it hard work. But I would just like plow forward. I would create a to-do list. I would put things on my to-do list that I had already completed just to cross it off, right? Like just going. Because I, I really thought that's what society wanted from me. You know, go to college, get a job, marry the girl, have a family, work really hard at your job. And then I would have like all this, the external markers of success, the house, the family, the car, the title, the money, all that jazz. And then I would finally be happy. And I would chase and chase and chase, much like a hamster, you know, on its wheel. And from time to time, I actually caught the happiness. Like I I got the new car, I got the promotion, uh, things settled down at work after the meeting was over. And I was happy for, um, for a moment or two. But then the happiness was fleeting. It sort of flew away, sort of like every great vapor finish line. Uh-huh. And so what it left behind was like hope that the, the hope in, in, in my mind, that if I kept on chasing, I could eventually catch it for good. And I just kept on chasing and chasing and chasing. I think so many people nowadays have that. And what, what we have is a whole bunch of external markers of, of success, but we're not successful inside. So I, as I was chasing, I was pouring a lot of stress inside. I was trying to be Superman at home. I was trying to be Superman at work with all the answers. I was the marketing director for my company's biggest drug. Like if, if we sneezed as a drug, as a product, the co- company caught the flu, right? So if we missed our in other words, if we missed our goal by 1%, then the whole company missed its goal. So there was a lot of pressure I put on myself as I was sort of chasing this happiness. And then I had my last bad day, So, which I know we'll talk about here in a bit. And what you said, you, the narrative you mentioned is very common for everyone, right? Everybody has a conditional happiness. If I do this, this will happen. If I do this, I'll be happier. I'll be more satisfied. But then they're always chasing they don't really achieve. I mean, even if they achieve it, they still feel that void and they keep raising the stakes, raising the stakes. What, I, know, I know you now, you mentioned on your website that right now you decided at a point in your life where you started to live a life of be, do, have. And what I would like to learn is now, why did you make that shift from do, have, be to be, do, have? And what happened and you know, why it changed, et cetera? Yes, no, no, the great question. So I realized that living the life of like, do have be was, was toxic, and I wasn't going to be happy. And I had to flip the script. So the way I flipped the script was like, I, I changed the I changed the order of the words to basically be show up every day intentionally, trying to be happy as an example. And then do the things that happy people do, like express kindness and empathy and gratitude and all these other wonderful things that we've, we, we read about, we hear about. 
And then as a result, you actually have more happiness. You get closer to that definition, which is different for everyone of complete success. So I, and I learned this through what I call my last bad day. So I'm an avid cyclist, hence the, the name of my company, Peloton Coaching and Consulting. And we were out, I was out at a meeting in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico. So we went out there from New Jersey. It was a, a classic sales and marketing type of summit meeting. We arrived on Monday. We're going to depart on Friday. And I have this goal of riding my bike in every one of our 50 states. So I was like, I'm going to bring my bike out. It was July, the week of July 10th. And I was like, all right, look, it's summertime. It's New Mexico. I'll miss the hotel gym. I'll get some fresh air. It'll make me really energized for the, for the meeting. And I found a two-mile loop on the hotel property, went out the back parking lot to a service road, and then I would come up the main entrance. It was two miles. I thought if I did 10 laps, it'd be 20 miles, and it'd be a great way to start the day. And then on July 11th, that Wednesday, I was doing my laps, and on the fourth lap, I came around a bend, and an SUV was coming right at me. He had crossed into my lane. He was going about 40 miles an hour. And I had no time to react. And I remember the sound of me hitting his grill, flipping into his windshield, the screech of his brakes, and the thud I made as I came to the asphalt below. And he was fully in my lane. There's some photos on my website. Some of them you can ca you sort of capture where the truck was after he hit me. But he was fully in my lane. It was just a freak accident. You know, a minute on either side, the whole thing could have been missed completely or five seconds on either side I could have the result could have been a lot worse but I got knocked unconscious as you would imagine and the EMTs arrived wow and I was in the worst pain of my life like I, I even the thought of moving was painful and I tend to use humor to cut tension and it was really tense it was like that I could tell not by what they were telling me but by just their energy and their body language that this was a life and death situation. So I asked them only another a question another cyclist can really appreciate. I asked them, how's my bike? <laughs> and they looked at me in this great, you know, puzzled look. And they're like, oh, your bike's your bike's okay. We want to try to save your life. And I remember trying to will myself not to fall asleep. So I, I, I was really sleepy. Basically, I was about to pass out. And since I had a little bit of this thing with control, right? I figured I can control everything and living the life the, the way I was doing, I, then things would be good. So I was trying to control whether or not I was going to pass out or not. So I kept on telling myself, Michael, whatever you do, do not fall asleep. I was really worried that if I fell asleep, I may never wake up again. And so they called the helicopter, the trauma helicopter, to take me to the trauma center at Albuquerque in Albuquerque at the University of New Mexico was a 19 minute flight. And as the helicopter was landing, I told myself, if you live, and again, I didn't know the extent of my injuries. I just knew I was in the worst pain of my life. And there was a lot of panic on the scene that if I lived, life would be different. And I would stop chasing happiness. And I would just be, I'd be present, right? So the whole like, do have be and be do have is about being present in our moment which I wasn't doing a good job of prior to this accident. And I, I just made a commitment that I was going to live my life that way going forward if I lived. And I remember everything about 
the 19-minute flight. I never took my eyes off my flight nurse. We landed on the rooftop at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. I went down the elevator into the trauma center. I met my surgeon. I met my anesthesiologist. And then I don't remember anything for the next four days and change uh, when I was in the ICU. And eventually I came out of the ICU into the orthopedic wing of the hospital. And I started to learn a little bit more about my accident and the extent of my injuries. So, wow. At that point, you realized that you had, you had to go through that experience to realize that being present was something that you were not doing and you started to do moving forward. Yes, but not right away. So I made that commitment that life was going to be different. But as I learned about the accident, life was different, but not in the way I intended. It got really dark really quickly, sort of in the spirit that we go where our eyes go. So the doctors told me the driver had a revoke license, so he should not have been driving that day. Uh, they told me that I would have a lifetime of limitations, more surgeries, probably be dependent upon other people. So they started painting this picture of all the things that, you know, I didn't have anymore, right? So I, I really thought, like, if I can't be who I was, who am I, right? And I, I got scared, and I got, I got pretty dark, and I got revengeful. I was like, I was thinking, at least thinking about it. I thought the driver took for me, he harmed me an eye for an eye. I was going to get back at him. When the hospital got dark at night, when all my visitors would leave, I would, I would cry myself to sleep frequently and just wonder, like, why me? Why did this happen to me? I just thought life was so unfair. And then eventually they flew me back to New Jersey to some other hospitals. And then I finally had a moment that I call sort of my shift or aha, if you will, where I realized if I was going to be the best I could be, the best husband and father and person and leader I could be, not comparing myself against anybody else, because I was doing a pretty good job of comparing my success against everyone else's success prior to my accident, that I was just going to be the best version of who I could be and try to reach that destination of complete success, that I had to shift my mindset. Uh-huh. I had to show up differently. You know, I had to think differently. I had to point my eyes in a different direction so I could see the possibilities of my last bad day and not all the limitations. And so that moment was sort of the moment where I was like, okay, I need to be more present. I needed to start like being, doing, and having. And it was, you know, it was a big moment, but it was like, it wasn't a light switch, unfortunately. Like sometimes we hope change happens really quickly especially when it's positive change. It was a big spark of awareness. But my path from that moment, you know, it hasn't been linear, right? It's been up and down and curvy and (laughs) tossy-turvy and the whole thing. But that was a big moment where I was like, if I'm going to be the best I can possibly be, then I have to shift my mindset. Mm. So could you explain the diff now, just so that the audience is understanding, right? So you you give a great example of do have be with your experience, you, you started shifting to be to have. Can you give us a little bit more ex- explanation or clarification on what that is and why that is important? Yeah, I think so many of us, why it's important is so many of us have our thoughts in the past, like the regret of the past, the worry of the things that we did before, right? So for those, for those that have a meditation practice or just are really aware of what their inner critic or their that voice in their head, their monkey mind or gremlin, whatever we call it, a lot of times we sort of 
kick things around, right? Or we just process things that have happened yesterday or last hour or last year. Or we, we have anxiety about the future, about what's to come, right? That meeting that's next week or, you know, what's going to happen, you know, a year from now. So when we're in yesterday or we're worried about tomorrow, we're not here today. And this is so important for leaders. So when we're there, then we're not with our people. We're not with those significant others in our lives, like our friends and our family. And so it's so important to just be present and connect. So many of us, right, are on our phones, and I'm not going to hate on our phone and social media. Social media brought us together today. That's true. You know, so I think there's some real power in it. But when we're not present, it's harder to connect with each other. It's harder, harder to build trust. So for me, like, we'll, we'll take, we can take happiness as an example, or we, we can take even like mindfulness. So like, part of it is like being mindful. So okay, well, what are the things that mindful people do? Well, mindful people, you know, spend some time sort of looking in the mirror, right? They try to, you know, gain some self-awareness. They have maybe micro meditations throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I like to call them PBRs, which is not perhaps blue ribbon, but pause, breathe and reflect moments or they meditate for a little bit longer. So they become more mindful of what's around them. So instead of reacting in the whole saber-toothed tiger fight-flight type of reaction of our brain, they can be more responsive. So their do is, I'm going to respond, not react. And as they start to do that more and more, what actually happens is that they get even more mindful, more thoughtful. And this is so important for leaders today because Many of the leaders out there are making, if no, they're not making multi-million dollar decisions, they're making decisions that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars. And so making the right decision becomes even more important in a very competitive world. So being mindful is so critical to success. You know, happiness is another one where, you know, you want to show up and say, today I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be grateful for what I have. Right. So that that might be something that a happy person would do. They have a gratitude practice or they set their intentions in the morning or they express kindness to a stranger. And what usually comes back to them is more happiness. So and they actually have more happiness. So just reversing those around a little bit changes our perspective and it can change how we show up in life. So how does that tie into leadership? So I want to go back to what he just mentioned at the beginning, where it's about leadership is about having a vision and motivating people to think beyond themselves to grow. So this whole concept of be to have, could you explain how that would apply to someone who wants to grow their leadership skills? Yeah. So as a leader, so we certainly set our vision, you know, we're, we're charting our course, but Someone who can be more mindful and, and sort of live this, like, you know, be to have type of approach, they can also detach from the final outcome. A lot of times we, we set a goal and we're so wrapped up around it that we are always thinking about the outcome and not what we have to do today, right? Success is, is built by having a big audacious goal, right? So as good to great would, you know, illustrate. But we also have those micro things that we have to do each and every day. So that that changes that can be the big idea. But we have like drip by drip, conversation by conversation, day by day. And we string those days together. That's what builds our success. 
showing up, showing up in the right way. So the B do have approach. Yeah, we can have a big goal, but when we're present, we can focus in on the task at hand. We're not going to get distracted by the shiny objects. Like we're going to get stuff done, but we're going to get the stuff done that truly matters. And then we do that. And if we can do that as a, as a team, or we can do that as a organization or a culture, then we start building momentum. And that goal that, you know, that was once thought of is like, wow, that's a big goal now starts to sort of look within reach. And as we get stuff done, we actually change the conversation that we have with ourselves, which is so important. Like we, we build our own inner confidence and we feel like we can do even more. And so it has this great like anabolic building effect towards success. And I think the great leaders out there have it. They don't have to all be extroverts. Some can be more reserved and quiet, but they all can set a big vision and they can be really present with the task at hand as opposed to getting distracted. Okay. No, that, that is a great answer. So a question I have is what, if, so, if someone is aspiring to be a leader, what are some of the steps that you would recommend them to take? Any suggestions for actions or feedback? Yes, I would, I would definitely advise having a mentor, right? Someone who can, that you can lean on. Obviously, I'm a coach, so I'm a little bit biased there too. So a coach also works. I would work on like their self-awareness, you know, as a, as a building block into emotional intelligence and really fine tune that, you know, in terms of how they manage themselves, but how they interact with others. And if they have some of those key elements, those key ingredients, that's a great foundation into leadership. What happens for a lot of leaders is that we get our first job and we can do fairly well. And then we keep on getting promoted. But as we get promoted, our emotional intelligence, as well as our conversational intelligence, tends to atrophy. Because as we grow our career, we're surrounded by fewer and fewer people. And the, that smaller group of people around us tend to tell us exactly what we want to hear. <laughs> so, and, and we have been, we've already shown that we have a, a history of being right. Right. The reason why we're getting promoted is that we've been successful. But the higher we go, the more disconnected we can become to like our customers, to our people. And then we lose that emotional intelligence, that muscle, again, it atrophies or our ability to have a conversation. So as a building block, I think people should definitely get a mentor and then work on trying to really build their emotional intelligence. And the third thing is, you know, be a thirsty learner right? And believe that you're always growing. There's so many people out there, like they're in their forties and I'm a little bit past 40, but they're like, wow, you know, I sort of reached it. And I'm like, come on. I'm like, you're only at halftime in your career, right? You have another 20 years and maybe another 20 years past that. And I always love being surrounded by people who think like, you know, my last step on this planet is going to be my best step that I'm not going to peak at 40 or 42. I'm going to peak at, you know, 82 or 92. And so it's developing at an early age, this attitude that I'm going to be a lifelong learner and I'm going to sort of journey down this, this goal of mastery of trying to become the best I can be. That sounds amazing. So Michael, if after listening to this, people want to get in touch with you, what would you recommend? How can they reach you? So the best bet is to go to my website, which is michaelobrienshift.com. You can also give me a call, 
Phone number is 201-697-6820. And my email is michael at pelotoncc.net. But going to my website is the best bet. And obviously, I'm on social media like LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. But the portal that has everything is my website. You also have a book that you've written. It's called Shift, Creating Better Tomorrow. Can you briefly tell us what is, what is that about? Yeah, so it's about my last bad day. So the reader gets an insight on, in, t- in terms of like what happened on that day and then my recovery through it, uh, taking me from that moment to actually getting back on the bike. But the cool thing about the book, there's actually a couple of cool things. Well, there's more than that, but I'm biased because I'm the author. But in the last chapter, I give 20 ways of being to help people move from human doer. And I was a bit of a human doer, as we've talked about before the accident, and move into being a human being. So I give 20 ways back to the be, do, have, 20 ways of being to have more of it. So like being aware, being accepting, being forgiving. So forget, for, forgiveness is number three. Mm-hmm. Gratitude is number eight. So it's not necessarily a how-to, but definitely some seeds are planted for people to step in to transforming themselves from human doer to human being. And the really cool thing about, well, th- this is probably the coolest thing about Shift, is that all the proceeds go to charity. They go to a charity based in Chicago called World Bicycle Relief. And they help girls conquer the challenge of distance by giving them mobility. They give them a bicycle. And they're in countries like Kenya, Malawi, and Zaire, and Zimbabwe. And they're walking to school six kilometers each way. And they get to a certain age, and they have to think about dropping out. Or if they're going to stay in school, they, they get on the back of a motorbike driven by a young man. And that just exposes them to sexual violence. So World Bicycle Relief comes in. And gives them, gives their school, gives them a bicycle. So that long walk is now a short bike ride. And when they stay in school, they graduate, they marry later, they have smaller families. But more importantly, they have economic vitality, they have independence, they're empowered. And their life changes. And those in their village, their lives change. And then then there's a ripple effect. I'm a kind of guy that believes if you change a life anywhere, you change lives everywhere. And it's really cool that that my last bad day can turn into brighter days for a whole bunch of people. So every book that we sell helps build more bikes. And I wrote it, you know, I wrote it for the message that we can overcome our challenges with the right mindset, the right approach, having a strong network around us. So many people are like, when I left corporate America, they're like, you got to write a book. You got to write a book about your story. It's going to be great for speaking engagements, which I do. Oh, it would be great for your business. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But it just, it didn't feel right. It didn't, I, I wasn't fulfilled by that. And I know a lot of people write their books and it is all about that. And I do not begrudge them. I'm like, I think it's awesome. But for me and my story, I was like, this is, this is bigger than just that. I want to reach people that need this dose of inspiration and make it really relatable and not necessarily like, I had my last bad day and then I climbed Mount Everest and that's the definition of success. I want to make the definition of success well within reach for every common man and woman. Because I believe if, if we all can get to our best versions of who we can be, our own definitions of complete success, then the planet's better. It's more peaceful. It's more loving. 
And that's what I, in a small way, that's what I hope Shift can do, make that spark. Wow, that, that's an amazing, amazing way. I mean, what you're doing is fantastic, but what you just said there is amazing. That's a great way to also wrap up the interview. Uh, Michael, it was a pleasure. You, I, you gave us some great insights into mindset. You gave some actionable ideas. It was a pleasure having you, and thanks for sharing your wisdom. Well, thanks for having me, and to all your listeners, I, I hope you got a pearl or two out of it. It was a great way to spend a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, folks, for listening to yet another episode of the Career Medis podcast. I have written a brief summary of the interview with also the links to the resources that Michael has mentioned, and you can find them in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and also learned something new, feel free to post a comment or a review. And if you really, really loved it, definitely go ahead and share this amongst your network. Until next time, this is uh, Nisar Ahmed, your host for the Career Medis podcast. Thank you.